right, so today we have uh, one of my really, really good friends, Alex Caseri. So, Alex, welcome to the podcast. What it do, baby boo? <laughs> so, my guy Kawhi Leonard, what it do, baby? Yeah, yeah. So, um, today we, I think right up front, we know that we're going to have to do our best to not make this episode an hour and 45 minutes long <laughs> because um, there is so many things that you and I could talk about. In fact, most of the head-scratcher conversations and thoughts that I think I have had in reference to being a pastor have come through a conversation with you. Uh, I could think of many days where you and I were riding around or sitting in an office and we were just like, wait, what? What just happened? <laughs> <laughs> like, how... How did that, is this what we do right now? So, um, so we're going to get into it. So Alex, uh, introduce yourself, give us a quick uh, rundown of who you are and what you do and where you are right now, and then we'll get into how you got there. Yeah, so Alex Caseri, as my guy said, said, my guy said, said, um, uh, born and raised in Worcester, Ohio, uh, went to Liberty University for school, pastoral ministry. And then I worked as a youth pastor in uh, Blacksburg, Virginia for a few years. Um, and since we don't have time to get into the context, I'll just say for now, uh, there's a nice little story in there, but I am a pastor in a church plant here in Worcester, Ohio called Southside. That's been going for about a year and three months. So um, yeah, that's who I am. That's what I'm doing right now. All right. So you and I, we have a couple of things in common. One, we both have this, uh, I guess, strange love affair with tattoos, which is not a thing that most people think about when they think of pastors. But you got your left arm sleeved up, and I'm I'm left arm sleeved up, so we got that in common. Yeah. Secondly, uh, we have maybe an unhealthy love affair with the game of golf. Definitely uh, unhealthy. <laughs> so uh, we have that in common. What we don't have in common is I am meticulously neat, and you... <laughs> are not so much in that department. One of the cool things about Alex, unique things I should say, is his car is always filled with stuff that I personally don't think you need in a car, but that I have seen Alex use while riding around with him in his car. So kind of like just tell the audience like what's why do you all why why is it that any given moment you have a softball glove and a softball and bats and lacrosse things and golf things and Bibles with broken spines. Why do you have <laughs> why do you have these things? Why do you constantly have these things in your car? Well, one, uh, since I've got I have a Honda Accord now, uh, and it's a little cleaner, but still not great. My trunk, man, you wouldn't want to see my trunk. Uh, and most most of the time in my life, I have uh, my golf clubs. I have. Uh, a bowling ball. I definitely have my all my softball stuff. I have my golf shoes. I'll have tennis racket and a basketball in my in my trunk uh, because, well, more than anything, you never know when somebody's going to call you out. Okay? <laughs> Be like, hey man, you ever play tennis? Matter of fact, <laughs> got my racket right now. <laughs> hey, you ever uh, played one on one against anybody? Matter of fact, got my basketball right now. And uh, Bibles, books like that. I don't know. I just, I think there's something about me that always wants to be prepared for anything. And maybe that's to a fault. But 
I definitely can't fit anything else in my trunk right now. Yeah, it's it's hilarious. I mean, <laughs> I don't drive a Honda Accord. In fact, I drive a Jeep Grand, a Jeep Grand Cherokee, and there's literally nothing in it right now. <laughs> if you walk to my car right now, there's absolutely nothing. Like we have, I have a, a snow brush in there for because we live in we live in Ohio, but that's it. <laughs> so that's just really funny. All right, so Alex, you have you have had. A number of pastoral jobs. You've interned and made no money. You've Ooh. interned and made a tiny bit more money than no money. You have been responsible for moving drums and setting them oh, up buddy. and breaking down equipment. And you've also been responsible for preaching 15-minute messages that turned into 25-minute <laughs> messages. You've been, <laughs> you've been responsible for uh, watching kids on a mission trip. Like, so, so yeah. Be... More like 45-minute messages. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I, Alex is the first person that put me in a position to have to teach an intern that when I give a time, I meant that time. <laughs> so so you, you've, had, you've had a number of of these different positions, but the thing that you've always had is you've always had this like incredible passion for people and to share the gospel. Mm -hmm. So you've been, you know, I'm using quotes here, quote fingers here, you've been a pastor before somebody dubbed the pastor. Um, so just like, how did you get here? How did you get from, how did you get from, from kid that grew up in Worcester, Ohio with a Lebanese background, with somewhat of a topsy-turvy home life, we can get into that later, to yeah. guy who is passionate about the gospel and has one of the best pastors' hearts I've ever met. So mm -hmm. tell us, like, how'd you get there? How'd you get to that point? The first thing I kind of think about is the fact that that internship was like seven years ago. Yeah, it was a long time ago. It, we're getting old, bro. We're, I'm old. I'm like, yeah, that was a long time ago. Um, well, I guess part of the story that I have is that um, really kind of felt called to ministry, but couldn't really discern it that well. And then um, at the same time, I was a total jerk. And up until I was about 21, I was, you know, I was just great at tearing people down and all the things you don't want to be in a pastor, all the things you don't want in a pastor. Uh, were the things that I was and then when I was 21 really just I think a few days after I turned 21 actually um, a buddy of mine who had been walking with the Lord for a little bit confronted me and uh, essentially was like hey man uh, I want to show you through the scriptures why you're not that good of a person and I was like that kind of sucks and uh, he showed me and um, God really just worked on my heart from that moment. It, really, the Bible came alive after I realized Jesus is enough for me and I'm not. And um, whenever I came to the realization that I was hopeless and I was a sinner and I wasn't that great, uh, really my heart came alive for people, people like me, because I, I'd seen it so much, people who had been in church or um, just cultural uh I don't know, Northeast Ohio people where being good is a virtue uh, who at the same time didn't have a love for Jesus. And I wanted to, um, especially early on, I really had a passion to figure out how to do that. Yeah, so you use the phrase people like me, uh, which is really interesting because when people meet pastors, you've had this, you're like, hey, how's it going, man? Oh, nice to meet you. What do you do? I'm a pastor. The whole ballgame changes. And they think 
that somehow we're different than other people. And obviously, there's a little bit of difference because of our relationship with God, but in our human state, we're the same. So when you use the phrase people like me, I love that. So what do you mean when you say, I have a heart as a pastor for people like me? You didn't say people who were like me yeah. or people like, why did you say people like me? What does that mean? I think people like me is, well, one, it's those who have kind of like been in and out of church their whole life, but never had a relationship with Jesus. And two, uh, people like me is, I mean, I'm about as authentic as it gets. Uh, my filter's probably not as good as it should be. <laughs> I think what I mean by people like me, I just mean humans. It's, uh, we're, like Cedric just said, we're not, uh, we're not some, like, divine being. I still have sin that I have to wrestle with every single day. I still have uh, the things in my life that drive me that shouldn't. And um, I think it's maybe it's a cliche to say as a pastor, but um, I have idolatry and um, people like me are just anyone who loves anything else more than they love Jesus. And pastors do that every day. I would I would say that Cedric and I still probably today have things that are in danger of being idols. So, yeah, and that's one of the unique perspectives or one of the unique things behind the scene, if you will, that I think people don't think of when they think of pastors. You know, they see us on a stage preaching and teaching or in a small group or in a counseling setting or, you know, holding hands in a uh, in a prayer sec section or sitting in a living room and they somehow elevate us to beyond the normal problems of human life and sin. Mm -hmm. And we're not, right? So I think people don't realize that when we sit down to write a sermon or we're praying, like we're still wrestling through those sin issues. Now, obviously we are, we're learning and we're maturing and we're growing closer to God through that process, but that's not, that does, there's no end point to that. Like that's one of the unique things about, about being a pastor. We noticed Paul talked about it, like just wrestling with, mm -hmm. with your, with your sin. So, yeah. Well, I just was thinking about a story about, uh, I was probably 22 working i at this point i had maybe five or six tattoos and this isn't so much about sin more about the perspective that people have on pastors and somebody asked me this young young lady asked me you know what did you want to do and i told her that i was pretty sure that i was called to be a pastor and she was like what pastors allowed to have tattoos <laughs> and i was like yep and i'm getting more uh but i just i think that's a story that always reminds me it makes it helps me to come back to the realization that one for some reason, pastors have this, uh, people just elevate us to a place that we shouldn't be. And two, we're, we're always going to be battling this uh, flesh and spirit battle. We're not immune from Romans 8. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So. What's the most unique, like very pastor thing? Is, and I'm kind of putting you on the spot here. Like, What's the most <laughs> unique pastor thing that you experienced in the last 10 days in the last 10 in the last days. 10 days like this is something that if only if you are listening to this and you're a pastor that person's going to be like yep i understand that and then for those that aren't they're going to be like that's okay i guess that's that's a thing oh man the last 10 days. or just you know what most recent well i guess unique okay i'm in a leadership development program in Wasion, Ohio, which is past Toledo. And, you know, part of being a pastor is our schedules are so different. 
And uh, they're like, all right, you know, I can only go once a month because of the schedule that I'm in and all that. So I left Monday morning at 7 a.m., stayed overnight, came back Tuesday in the afternoon, had hours of meetings that were, uh, we, basically we just talked about the Bible and what it meant to ministry. And I think I say that's unique because one, uh, like driving three hours for a leadership program, and two, it's who spends 20 hours in two days and their meetings are all about the scripture. Yeah. Um, that's a, re- I, I think that's something that only pastors get to do. Yeah. So, so maybe you're thinking of other kind of stories. No, no, that's, that's what comes to mind. That's what comes to mind. Yeah. What about, what about the church plant? So one of the unique things about, about being a pastor is, you know, we, we get to minister. I know that's mm-hmm. kind of like a, you know, like a common term in, in what we do, but we get to minister to different people, groups in different oh, yeah. places. So you've interned here at West Hill, you've worked here at West Hill, you've worked at a church in Virginia, you, um, and at one time you were thinking about going, uh, you were looking into working to, at a church plant in Baltimore, but you, you've always had this bleeding heart for Worcester, Ohio, and every time you try to leave, <laughs> it just seems like you couldn't, like you couldn't stay away, and, and for, for very good reasons. And now you are up like a, a vital part of a church plant, which is literally down the street from from West Hill, literally down the street from where we're sitting right now, yeah. South Side. So, how did you get to the place of where you are today in reference to being a part of a church plant? How'd you get there? Yeah. So, um, I think I started to get a little inkling in my heart that God was, and that—that's pastor speak for you. <laughs> inkling. <laughs> I had an inkling in my God. heart that God said, "Listen, man." <laughs> Listen, man. No, um, but really, he was. I felt this draw to church planting in the sense that I was given some information that I read about that was just like the the world needs church plants because unchurched people go to church plants more often than established churches, and those people in your community who have been around for a long time, uh, they have their own opinion of the churches in your area, even if they're really unvalid, invalid. Um, so uh, those were some of the reasons that made me, got me to start thinking about church planting. And so I started to pray about it. And um, I just, like Cedric said, I love Worcester, which is, I don't know why. I don't know why either. It's cold, <laughs> but there's something about it that, um, that just keeps drawing me. I, I really think that God has called me uh, to this place. I can relate to the people and... Um, so it came to May of 2018 and I was really seeking God to see like what he wanted me to do. And I, and I felt like he was calling me to be in some sort of church plant and I didn't know what that meant. And, um, I I actually ended up leading a group of public school students to a community event here in Worcester. And when I was there, um, I met up with Greg Grimwood, who's our lead pastor and he was asking me what I wanted to do. And I was like, you know, I really feel like God's calling me to church planting. I'm not sure what that means. And him and his wife kind of just like do a double take. Because earlier that week, they had just been approved to church plant in Wayne County. Hmm. And it was just like, man, God is really 
uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. He really is directing my path right now, especially, and we'll probably get into this if we have another episode or two, um, but, you know, I really had to lean not on my own understanding in my steps because I was, you know, I didn't take a direct line, as some people might want or think, so. So, uh pastoring in the church plant context mm-hmm. is significantly different than pastoring in the established church context, right? So I came to West Hill almost eight years ago and West Hill is almost 60 years old. I mean, today it wasn't at that time, but uh, but very established. So the day-to-day is very different in an established church compared to a uh, church plant. So what's the most energizing thing in reference to your and like, what's the most energizing thing for you right now as a pastor, but that's unique to pastoring at a church plant? Mm-hmm. So the most energizing thing that's, that is specific to church planting, I think it's seeing uh, from the beginning that God replenishes his people and God brings, uh, God draw, I, I am a firm believer. Uh, are we allowed to share our theological beliefs well, on this thing? I'm reformed through and through and uh i i am very confident that god draws and i a church plant context is where you most uniquely uh i i should say that i have most uniquely seen god drawing because we don't have an office uh we don't have a church building we meet in a in the best western in a you know it's a room that has carpet from 1970 (laughs) and uh, sometimes we trip over projectors. You know, we're not doing everything "quote unquote" right, but um, to me, I'm seeing how God is faithful to draw His people, and um, it's so energizing to just see like when we're faithful to prayer and to the Word that um, there are people who are hungry and they'll come. So, so you you mentioned meeting in a Best Western. You know, it's it's very church plant. Is there anything about not having? the I'm using quotes here like the luxuries of established church that you have found was discouraging to you and you had to kind of correct that thought mm-hmm. i mean i'm sure i'm not talking about from a convenience standpoint i'm sure that there are some things that established churches have that's convenient you know the convenience of their own building the convenience of their own equipment yeah. the convenience of those things staying where you put them and not <laughs> having to break them down so the, I'm, I'm, those are conveniences but how did you manage your own emotions and heart and maybe even any sin that might have been creeping in from a discouragement standpoint because not having established church conveniences. Yeah, I think that um, the danger is that when you do a church plant, especially if you're in like, uh, you know, top tier leadership, if you would say, you have the tendency to believe that everything falls on your shoulders and uh, the church will fail if you fail. You know, when you have 60, 70 people um, when you mess up, quote unquote, the church is going to fail. That's, you know, that's what you think. And an established church, even like West Hill, like if, even if, a, you know, we pray this never happens, but if a, a pastor, you know, sins morally, um, sure, those, there's going to be rifts, but you guys have a whole pastoral team that comes around each other. You, you send out a search for a, a pastor on church staffing, you're going to have a hundred resumes tomorrow. <laughs> right. It, you know, we're not like that. So um, that's something I really had to 
pray about and Greg's been great about that too. He's from the beginning he's reminded me and our team that um, Jesus is the hero and Jesus does the heavy lifting and I needed to uh, God really needed to work that out in me because I had this hero complex that it all hung on me and if I blew it then you know the church was over and and I'm you know and it even went further like if I if our young adult group if I said the wrong thing in our young adult group nobody's going to come back that kind of stuff um so is there anything you can think of that the Lord was working on you years ago that prepared you for doing what you do right now in the con- I mean I'm talking about doing specifically what you do right now at Southside like where you can say man you sit and ask yourself you know good bad or ugly how did I get here how did I get to this point look at what I'm doing look at where I am I'm back home I'm in and for those of you that don't know Worcester where Southside is located it's the part of town where people aren't looking to buy homes no. It's the part of town where people don't hang out. It's the part of town where, quite honestly, no one wanted to plant a church. So we're not talking about high on the hill here. We're talking about in a place where, I mean, every, the gospel's needed everywhere. But we're talking about a place where there had to be unique, people with a unique set of skills driven by passion for the gospel to share it with people that need the gospel. Yeah. Um, and especially when we're talking about, you know, just some of the economic state and situation of that part of, the, of our town, but so can you think about some things that you can say, okay, you know what, man, this is how I got here, but this is the thing along the way that now that I'm sitting here, I'm looking back, man, this is what the Lord allowed me to see or experience or worked in me. That is, that has prepared me specifically to where I am right now. Yeah, I think especially early on in my uh, call it what you want, maybe conversion, maybe rededication, you know, I had this passion for, I almost felt like nobody was awake to the gospel. And that was my own complex of like, I wasn't awake, so uh, surely nobody else was. And uh, they needed to be, you know, fired up. So I probably legalistically, uh, you know, challenged my friends and my people to like share the gospel. Like it the gospel needs to be shared. It's life or death. And I still believe that. Um, but if you're saying things that God prepared me with, He really gave me a boldness to share Jesus and to not care. Not so much not care about people, but just not care about the response. Be okay with the fact that, um, you know, initiating with people and sharing that Jesus. Uh, changes us in the best way possible, really gives us life. And, you know, that's an offensive thing to say. Absolutely, yeah. And so um, the fact that God really gave me a boldness to do that when I was 22, 23, 24, um, that really, I mean, it, it helped in a way that I can't explain in a church plant context where almost every person that you're inviting to your church <laughs> is unchurched. Yeah. So, so initiating... Um, for uh, the sake of the gospel, uh, with Jesus at the center, um, you know, that's worth it. That's worth all of the times that uh, being a pastor really feels like you're isolated and alone and people are critical of you and all of those types of things. Um, seeing God show up in the gaps when you initiate with the gospel is like whew, incredible so what are some things about pastors that people don't know 
or they often miss. Uh, you could, I mean, think about it in a general term, but also about you specifically. So, what, yeah. is, what are some of those things? Generally, I think, well, we kind of hit it on it uh, earlier. Yeah, yeah, we missed but it. I do think that's a huge one that most people think pastors are like divine <laughs> spirit animals. <laughs> and it's just not true. Right. You know, um, we have the same struggles, same sin patterns. There's a reason why so many pastors are caught in you know, sexual sin because people just imagine that they don't struggle with those things. And that's just, that's not true. We right. do. Um, uh, and I think part of that is the fault of celebrity pastors mm-hmm. who take this anointed uh, pastoral, this whole thing runs on me type of approach. Um, we don't have a team around you. It's really dangerous. So uh, that's one that most people... I think probably need to come to grips with is your pastor uh, does not determine your relationship with Christ because they're going to fail you. Mm -hmm. Um, Me specifically, I mean, I think it's, it's a little more abstract, but just the fact that like um, being a traditionalist isn't always good, but it's not always bad. When you say that, what do you mean? What do you mean when you say traditionalist? I just mean someone who like, uh, someone who falls in line to the church culture. Gotcha. Um, and not necessarily the the church culture that you're in, but just church culture. Gotcha. Um, so I think that you know I'm some. We're talking personally. I'm someone. I was literally at you know at the gym, and I was talking to a guy that I was a I was a pastor in a church plant, and. You know, I we're friends now. We have a relationship, but oftentimes he says to me, "I can't believe you're a pastor." Yeah, people say that to me. All I the can't time. believe you're a pastor. all the time. I can't believe you're a pastor. And I'm like, "Well, what do you mean by that?" And he's like, "I can't put my finger on it. I don't know. I just don't. I don't picture you as a pastor." And I think that's because it might be our culture. It might be Northeast Ohio, but there's a solid chance if it's in my church, I will never wear a tie. Ever. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, this is maybe a little rabbit trail, but I do believe that if I get asked to preach at a church that wears shirt and ties, I'm going to wear a shirt and tie. Absolutely, yeah. Because I'm not going to offend them for my freedom. Yeah, you don't want to put yourself in a position where you are distracting them away from what it is that we do. I mean, I tell yeah. people that all the time. Like, people ask, how do you decide? And same thing. I have people say to me all the time, I can't believe you're a pastor. I mean, like, obviously, you, you're my friend. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, I dress very liberally. Yeah. Um, you know, we talked about the tattoo thing. Like, you know, I just don't. I guess there's not a level of expected stuffiness to us mm-hmm. as pastors. But at the same time, if I got invited to, you know, I, I preach at a church in the South um, not too long ago. Shout out to Flat Creek. Um, and, you know, the culture is very different. And I made sure that I fell in line in an appropriate way to that culture because I didn't want to be a distraction to what to why I was there in the first place. I was there to preach the gospel and I wanted people to hear Christ. I didn't want to put myself in a position where they're so distracted by what I looked like or what I had on or what I was doing so that they didn't even hear anything that came out of my mouth. So yeah, I agree with that. It's but it's interesting people say that all the time. I can't believe you're a pastor. Are you, are you sure you're a pastor? What is it that you do? I think the question that I've gotten most from people who I've invited to our church is what's the dress code? Yeah. And yeah. I <laughs> one of, one of the guys who helps lead music, uh, he wears a crew neck and sweatpants, 
and I preached two weeks ago, and we had a visitor there, and he he shared that he was kind of nervous about what to wear, and then he saw me that I was wearing a Nike hoodie and uh, my Air Max 270s. Excuse me, <laughs> my Air Max 270s, and um, it you know we don't record our, or we do record we don't like video our sermons, so that was never going to go on Facebook. It's not like. Ooh, I'm trying to be the cool guy. Right. It's wow. There's freedom to be who I am, mm-hmm. and that's something that uh, for sure. Like, I don't know. I think that um, people expect pa- people have an expectation of how pastors will dress, think, act, do, mm-hmm. and most of the time, if you try to hit those standards, you're going to get burned out. You're going to feel like. Um, your company man, whatever, you know. Um, I think that those are just dangerous standards to set. Yeah. And some of those expectations aren't bad. No. Some of them are not some of them are good to hold to, but it is it's interesting, just like you said. I think culture is is an appropriate word because, you know, the church culture is different. It there's church culture in general and then it's different depending on where we are. Um so what what are you've you talked about the call in your life at you know at 21, 22, and then we fast forward and you are where you are today. What, what are some things, maybe two things, that you wish you knew before becoming a pastor? Whew. I wish I knew that working with people was um, about impossible to have like hard data that you're doing something good. Huh. Like, there's almost nothing you can hang your hat on when it comes to discipleship. And, I mean, there's little things. There's there's small things. You can see, you know, part of uh, spiritual growth is that it takes time. And Jesus would affirm that it's a day-by-day process. And we live in a culture that's like, we need results. Mm-hmm. And the church can't operate that way. And when it does... You know, you drive your your teams insane. Hmm. You drive them to places they'd never thought they'd go or want to go. You start having eight services a weekend type of things, which just burns your people out. Um, and so I just wish, yeah, I wish I would have been more prepared that, you know, I thought it was just going to be rainbows. Like every time I share the gospel, somebody's going to come <laughs> to know Jesus. They're going to be like, please disciple me. This is going to be great. Uh, it just doesn't work that way, you know. For every, you know, this is just an arbitrary number, but for every ten people who uh, tell you that, you know, they don't want to come to your church, there might be one that is super involved. Yeah. So that's one. And then another thing is, um, I don't think I realized how isolated it can get, even when you have teams, because um, I don't know. It's just the nature of pastoral ministry it's almost unexplainable if you're not in it but yeah when you say isolate you mean you specifically yeah Yeah. just specific isolation yeah um so i think it's a good time to jump into that because you use the word isolation so one of the unique things unique it's challenging i'm not 100 percent sure how you did it but you're single yeah. Right. Like, I mean, now you're engaged right now. You're getting ready to be married, which is awesome. That's so exciting. Uh, wedding is in May. Let's um, go. And uh, marrying someone who is just beyond awesome. So that's that's. I mean, that's that's great. But that's that's about. I mean, you're still not married. You're still technically single, right? So you're about to be married here. 
in a couple months. But how in the world did you manage being a single man in full-time ministry? And you use the word isolation, you know, like when I feel those things, I go home and I have a wife, I talk to her and, mm-hmm. you know, she helps walk me through some of those difficult seasons or some of the difficult day-to-day things. How, like how, how did you, how? <laughs> like, is there a, is this an expletive uh, <laughs> <laughs> podcast? No. All right. Uh, excuse me, my friends. <laughs> uh to be honest, that's that's definitely one of the hardest things. There's a lot of times, a lot of times, I'd come home and I would just say, "Man, I wish I had someone to talk to about this." Especially when I was a youth pastor, because working with students, you know, you, I would say, forty-five of the fifty-two weeks, you feel like you're ramming your head against a wall. <laughs> you just there's no progress, and you have those. Those, the growth of especially young people is so slow and so meticulous that sometimes it's hard to see. So I, I, there's a lot of times where I just wanted someone to talk to. And, uh, well, the cliche, it's cliche because the truth doesn't change, which is something I say. Cedric's probably heard me say that a lot. But um, the cliche thing is that really I was comforted by the wonderful counselor who is God. Mm-hmm. Um, often I poured out my soul to him. Like, I, I can't do this alone. I remember there were times where I was like, man, if I could just get married and God had to break me. (laughs) If I could could just get married. married. God had to break me. And he brought me to a place where I was praying like, God, if I never have a spouse, you're enough. Hmm. And, um, I'm not saying that's easy. I'm not saying that I still don't struggle with that sometimes, but, um, God really did sustain me in that way. And, you know, we believe as people who believe that the scripture is real and it's authoritative and it actually, it's not just uh, intellectual, it actually is alive and it brings life, that being with Jesus is life-giving. And so that's really the only way I can say I combated it um, from a personal standpoint. And then just having friends to, you know. Yeah. Community is so important. So what's the, I mean, like, as, like, one to three sentences, what's the thing about Melissa specifically, which is your future wife, what's the thing about her specifically that you are, like, really excited about in reference to, you know, getting, preparing yourself to marry her? What I do, baby. <laughs> uh, I think that Melissa is someone that, listens really well, can be challenged, and can challenge and not get offended. And then ultimately, she is someone who wants to be conformed into the image of Christ. And I say that in the most, uh, in the most pure way I can. Yeah. Everything that we do, we're hopeful and prayerful that God's conforming us into his image. I mean, honestly, through your dating relationship, you can see that already. Because for those that don't know, I mean, your background and Melissa's background is as, as night and day. I mean, like, it's as, it's as black and white as myself and my wife. I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean like, it's, it's different. You know, like, it's, yeah. it's very different. So it's really cool to see um, two people who love Jesus that are from different backgrounds that, you know, maybe from a social context or, you know, maybe from, like, an old church way of thinking context mm-hmm. on paper. These two people aren't going to make it. Uh, what, what are they thinking? You know, 
Um, but it's really cool to see what God does when when those things are present, like you talked about, being able to be challenged and uh, and also comfortable with challenging each, um, someone else and each other. Um, so that's that's a cool thing. Um, so so when when you were on staff here, one of the things that we did a lot was we we went out to lunch all the time, and you and I have eaten some really bad meals. And uh, one of the things that was unique to you and I's relationship was not long after eating a meal, there was a process that you and I had to go through, and uh, we had to use the toilet. So always. So, so it's just fun. Like we, so Alex and I had this thing where we had designated sections of the building where we were allowed to go after after our lunchtime and it's so funny even now even though he's not on staff here anymore i think about that all the time I'm like hey you know what i'm in this part of the building make sure you don't come down here because uh the, it's the spice hour the, yeah the, the lunch choice was 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 very interesting so so it's one of the unique things about it um so I, I have a couple other questions here that I, I think might be might be good for us to to get into. So what's the what's the thing that you do every week in the in your specific role as pastor that listeners would be surprised to know about? I know they think that we only work on Sundays. Oh my gosh. They think that we sit and read the Bible for hours, which there, there's some truth to that part. You know, we, you talked about spending 20 hours, you know, between the drive and going to mm-hmm. to the thing out in Toledo. And I mean, that's 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 real life. I mean, we do spend a, an exuberant amount of time studying and learning and crafting messages. And, and but that's true. But there's a lot of other things that we that we do that people don't know about. So what's some of those day to day things that you do that people be like, wait, wait, pastors do that. How many times has someone asked you? What do you do every day? <laughs> yeah. And almost every time someone that doesn't know I'm a pastor, when they the night you oh, you're a pastor. What do you do? <laughs> my favorite question is, what else do you do? That's my favorite question. Um, so they'll say, hey, what do you do for a living? I was like, oh, I'm a pastor. I'm like, oh, that's cool. So what else do you do? I'm like, uh, <laughs> I can't, I can't do anything else. Like, I don't, you know, I've had another guy. It's like, how do you make money doing that? Well, that's a good question. Um, but, That's a good question to talk about one day. <laughs> yeah. But he's like, how do you, like, do you have another job? I was like, no. And, and I would challenge that I probably work more than you do. Like, you know, like sometimes that's that's what you want to push back with. Yeah. But what are those things? What are, what are some of the unique things that you what do you? that people just don't know that this is what pastors do? Yeah. That's such a funny question. What do you do every day? I get that all the time, man. And it's like, I would just say this is a sidebar. If you are a pastor out there, that's um, one of my mentors. Am I allowed to give shout outs? Absolutely. Neil Nelson, one of my mentors, taught me that uh, uh, there's this process that you have to go through as a pastor, which gets to a place where um, you're either okay with the fact that you don't do what all other businesses do, or you make things up. And I think that that's one of the detriments to pastoral ministry is making things up. Either making things up to do that aren't important or like flat out lying, which Mm -hmm. that will happen. And I've seen it happen. So what do I do every day? One of our convictions is that if we're preaching, we need to spend, you know, a good amount of time preparing, you know, I think minimum like 12, 15 hours a week preparing just a sermon. Mm -hmm. And I lead, I lead a few Bible studies. I lead um, 
I lead our house group for our young adults. And, you know, just the preparation time that it takes so that when you show up, you actually know what you're talking about and you're not just going to a media source. You know, I think media sources are great for lay leadership. And this is my conviction as a pastor. Like, if you're a pastor, you should be with the Scripture. Mm -hmm. You should be writing your sermons. Mm -hmm. You should be writing your lessons. You should be spending a portion of your time saying, okay, time with God is more important than anything in this world. And then after that, I'm overflowed to spend time with people. So most of my time is time with God, time with people. Um, so what do I, I mean, there's, there's days where my schedule is full of meetings, appointments, whatever you want to call them. Um, and then there's times where my schedule might not be as much. But uh, what do we do every day? Well, we are the ones who have been called by God to bring truth and love to people. And if you don't know the truth, you can't speak the truth. Mm -hmm. So uh, if I'm being frank, a lot of my time is understanding God and understanding people. Um, so what uh, are there any, you talked about being extroverted, not being afraid to speak to people. Um, obviously, I know you personally, you're very outgoing, you're very energetic, um, you're also very competitive. You know, oh, yeah. so, so, but all that said, what are some changes in your personality um, that you have noticed that has not necessarily matured, but matured and or changed or has shifted um, since you've been pastoring mm -hmm. about your personality specifically? That's a great question. And I think that's a good, if we're not growing, something's not right. Um should have people in your life who are challenging you often. Uh, if you're out there and you're listening out in the airwaves, <laughs> you don't have someone who's challenging you, uh, you're going to become stagnant. Um, so thankfully I've had people who have called me out on my, uh, I can't explicit it, I can't have an explicitive, <laughs> who have called me out on the things that I shouldn't be doing. I think some of the ways God has softened me, He's softened me uh, just personally. He's helped me to not uh, be the first to talk all the time. Now, still sometimes. <laughs> um, I've really gotten a genuine love for people at, um, for where they're at. Uh, or especially early on in ministry, I just wanted people to be mature. And I wanted to just force them into maturity. And God's really helping me to see, like, that takes time. And you need to love people where they're, where they're at. Now, you need to challenge them. But you also have to love them in the challenge. Um, generally, I feel like I listen better than I used to. Especially, you know, you, this is a common theme with young pastors. You know, you know everything. Yep. And um, the older I'm getting, and I'm, you know, getting close to 30 now, which is a weird thing to think about. <laughs> the older I'm getting... Uh, the more I'm realizing that I don't know as much as I thought. Hmm. Um, I'm less confident in the things that I know uh, at my age than I was when I was 22. And I'm not saying that I'm, you know, I'm not confident in Christ. I'm saying I'm less confident in my ability. Right. I'm more I'm, I've been made more confident in who Jesus is and less confident in who I am. 
which that's should be the natural progression of spiritual maturity mm -hmm. is you see your sin clear more clearly and you see Christ's holiness uh, more clearly too so so we have people as pastors literally tell us every and anything oh. and more often than not their heart is in a good place you know they say things they want to be encouraging they sometimes they're coming for advice sometimes they're coming for direction sometimes they're asking bible questions like we just we just converse with people a lot yeah but what's some of the things that people say to you even if it's from a good-natured place that just irates you to to possibly a sinful place if you're not careful <laughs> Like, I mean, and I'm asking this question because it happens all the time. You know? And please, if you're listening, I don't want you to stop talking to me. Don't stop talking to Alex. Don't stop coming to us. That's not what I'm saying. But there are just times when people say things that most times it's from a, it's from a genuine place, but they don't realize what that does to the heart and the ears of a pastor. What are some of those things? Yeah, I think um, one thing that you should know is don't confront a pastor before he preaches <laughs> on Sunday morning. <laughs> For some people do it. It's crazy. It's like this person is prepared all week to deliver the word of God. And you're coming up talking to them about, you know, something that doesn't matter. Yeah, which is funny because that makes you that makes us sound so antisocial. Yeah. It makes us sound so not about people. And literally what we are, we are about people. Yeah. It makes it sound so like at, like antisocial, we don't want to talk to anybody, and I don't think that that's what you're saying. No, you're no, not no. saying we're not talking. I get, I stand at the entrance of my Sunday school class. I'm super excited to greet people before I preach. Hey, how are you doing? How was your week? What's going on? But I think, and if I and I think if I know what you're talking about, is there's there's a certain set of things that sometimes people talk about that take the life out of what we're getting ready to do, as opposed to inject life into what we're, about, we're yeah. getting ready to do. The high how you're doing, that's that's energetic. Yeah. I'm excited that you're here. I'm happy to see your face. I'm happy to see you with Bible in, in hand and ready to roll. That's exciting. But sometimes the comments or, or the statements or the questions that people ask, they take things away. And it's weird because I don't really know if we could give too many examples of what it is because I don't, you know, we obviously we're about people, so we don't want to yeah. don't want to steer people away. I don't want to steer people away. But but I, I know what you're talking about. As a general rule of thumb, if it's not an emergency on a Sunday morning, like I'm saying it needs to be handled right now. If it's not that, and it's something that's like not going to encourage the pastor that morning, don't say it. If it can wait, let it wait. Um, that would be just a general rule because I, I think Cedric's right. We shouldn't give too many specific examples because it could discourage, but... Maybe that's just a challenge uh, to you that, um, especially right before a pastor is going to preach, maybe just go up to him and say, hey, I'm really excited about what God has for us this morning. Yeah. Instead of, you know, that thing that is inconsequential that needs to be handled yeah. on Tuesday. And it's funny because, like, even hearing you say it and I'm thinking about it, there's a tension in my, literally in my chest right now because I'm thinking, man, I don't want to push people away. I don't want people to think that I'm antisocial and isn't about like, what do you think about me? I don't want my level of potential standoffishness to be a wedge between what it is that I'm about to share from the scripture. That's tough. That is yeah. really, really tough. I mean, I remember as a young pastor, I would literally duck in the hallways from one place to the next. 
I would, I'd stay locked up in my office. I wouldn't go out because I was scared. I was scared that someone was going to ask me something or say something and it was going to throw me off. Um, one of those things, this doesn't happen very often anymore. And I'm so thankful for this because I had to mature through this as a young pastor. But one of the things that was really hurtful to me as a young pastor was people's comments, statements, and questions about what I was wearing literally before I walked oh, yeah. on the stage. And sometimes they weren't they weren't always negative. They weren't always antagonistic more often than not they were, but they weren't always that way. But it just it threw me up because I was approaching, I'm literally walking up to this person or vice versa. Hey, good morning. How are you? How's it going? And you know, someone like, well those aren't those are an interesting pair of pants. You know like what I I hi I don't hi, you know, and then you know, it just strikes a chord, and honestly, full transparency, it strikes a sinful chord, and and it just it it throws the whole thing off. So I found myself like burying myself in my office and ducking behind hallways and taking the back way where I know people weren't going to from one place to the next. And honestly, I hated that. I I didn't like having to do that because I want to be with people. I want to be with the people, and it's so even just hearing you say that and talking through it, it's it's tough because that's 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 something I think we wrestle with because. And on one side of the coin, I want to be with the people. And on the other side of the coin, some of that being with the people can put us in a place where it could potentially throw us off. And I think you mentioned spiritual maturity. And, you know, you, I've matured through it. Many you've matured through it. And get to a place where we have matured in ourselves, in our personalities, who we are, to not allow some of those things to throw us off. I can say, sitting here today, that there are times when I've heard something and I've allowed myself to push it out of my mind or not allow it to throw me off. And I think it's a maturing process. I think if, you know, you mentioned earlier, if you're a pastor, you're listening, if you're a young pastor and you're listening, mm-hmm. that like just mature out of that. It's going to happen. I think most times people mean well, but you just have to manage your emotions during that time. And that's one of those things I think when I say inconsequential, um, and it's a difference. This is a really, it's a competing difference of church planting and, um, church that's approaching 60 years is uh, Cedric. I've been there when Cedric was asked about his pants. <laughs> like, you really can't see past this guy's pants. I think that shows, and this this is a charge to everyone in the in the local church that your um, your um, personal preference to dress is your personal preference. It's not more holy than something else. And that's just one, you know, prime example, and there's so many. But I remember being a young pastor uh, intern even, it was like, you can't wear shorts on the stage. And that, to me, that, like, ruined my confidence because it was like, I don't, I just, I just didn't get it. I didn't understand why. And, you know, I think context is super important of like where you're at. And we kind of already touched on that a little bit. But um, unless you're in a shirt and tie place, yeah, you know. And I mean, and obviously this part of the conversation isn't some kind of, you know, we're not banging on the drum for let us wear what we want. That's no, not, no, not, it's not, not that. That's not at all, that at all. But that's just, that's, that's, a, that's a real life example, right? Yeah, this real is, life. This, this, is, this, this podcast is about real life. These are the things that that go on in the life of a pastor and that's a real life thing like that's not and again i am thankful that those types of conversations are to of like to a bare minimum sitting here today yeah that doesn't happen as often as it did you know a few years ago so i'm really happy about that um but but yeah that that uh that's real life that's a real life thing um for 
for us as pastors. Um, what uh, so uh, we talked about some things that you and I have in common. One of the things we have in common is we're we're number two guys, right? We're yeah. not we're not number one guys. Mm-hmm. We work under a lead pastor, and you know we were responsible for sharing and mobilizing the vision of our lead pastors. Um, how's that been? How's that been for you to not like you're not the you're not the guy in charge. You're yeah. not the guy that's preaching every week. And obviously, I'm talking to a guy who would love to preach every like you like preaching every week would be a no just nothing for you. It'd be like I'd be chomping at the bit to preach every week. And like so, how how have you managed that? Like how has that been being a number two guy, not being the number one guy? Uh, I think that if I can just shout out uh, my mentor again, Neil, he. He's also he was he was an associate pastor um, when I was working with him, and um, he led by example in a way that really has just impacted me today. Which is, we uh, we defend the unity of our church by defending our lead pastor, and um, I think that that was something that I saw that was so important for me that now it, it comes second nature, like. Yeah, I have not been called to be the lead guy right now, and I better not act like it. Um, I better support this guy uh, with all that I have, um, because if I'm not supporting the lead pastor, who is going to be? Um, so I actually don't think that's been a huge struggle. That's been something that I felt has um, that God has really helped me through um, mm-hmm. to to say, uh, yeah, I believe in the vision of this church. I believe in the vision of our lead pastor. And I believe in the fact that we are doing things uh, by abiding in Christ. Therefore, opportunities are going to come. But um, yeah, being the, being the number two guy is unique in the fact that you aren't preaching every week. And like I said, like Cedric said, I could preach. Shoot. That, that was one of the first things we kind of talked about. I, I'll accidentally preach for an hour. Luckily, that's I would say that's a... <laughs> I'll accidentally preach for an hour. That's one of the things that God's worked on me, too, is being in, in my time. Actually, that's something that Cedric really helped me with. After that moment, I was, uh, I was pretty much like, yep, I can't go over time anymore. Yeah. Like I need to respect this. Yeah, that was that was that was an interesting time. Um, all right, so <laughs> twenty five minutes in. Yeah. Oh, this is just this is just funny. We don't Re- want to go like up, just sidebar. I'm like real quick, right? So not only did you go over this, you, this setting was unique. We were outside <laughs> in at the at the Ohio State Agricultural and Technical Institute, which is here in our town. They have an arboretum, which is like this outdoor setting where you can do things, and it's a really cool setting. We're outside, and we are in smack dab underneath the sun it's hot <laughs> and alex I, he, he's supposed to give a 15 minute challenge and i, I think it was 20 tw- I, i'm pretty sure it's 15 it's 20 i'm getting come on now. and i'm looking at my watch five minutes after i'm looking at my watch okay he's probably gonna wrap it up and the the classic indicator that a pastor is not about to wrap it up is when he says okay now let's turn to and i'm like <laughs> wait wait a second that's you're over the time and so but yeah it was that was, that was interesting. I but remember I what I said was, uh, I said, and that concludes my intro. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I was over time in my intro. Uh, oh, that was good stuff. All right, so last thing, uh, I, I want to, you know, I want us to, we're, we're going to, you're going to be on the podcast again. We, we literally have notes sitting in front of us and we've got to maybe 10% of it. Um, so we're going to do this again. But the last thing I want to talk about, one of the things that I, I don't, I'm, 
I have it a little bit more now than I did, but since I've met you, you've always had it. And it's this, this like no fear, go after it, not afraid to fail attitude. Like you and I played a lot of rounds of golf and you're go that's how you play golf. I'm the exact opposite. You know, <laughs> I go for the fat part of the green and I know I can one or two putt and you're like, I'm flag hunting and sometimes the ball ends up 70 yards the other direction. But other times you're tapping in for eagle because that's just how you play. Yeah. That's how you, you know, that's, I've seen you do it. I've seen you go for it and it worked out and I've seen you go for it. And I'm like, I'm glad he ran for it because now I'm about to be, this is about to be a three shot swing. <laughs> so I've seen you do that. And I've seen you do that on the golf course. I've seen you do that. I don't play basketball, but I've watched you play sports. I've seen you do that in other areas of your life. And you've also done that in ministry. And I think just to end our time, we've got to talk real quick about you put together this <laughs> unbelievable plan event. You went for it. I mean, you, 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 you were flag hunting that day. And you were at a pastoring in, in Blacksburg, Virginia. You put together this thing for students, for high school students in the Blacksburg area. I mean, you went for broke. Tell us what happened. All right. So uh, Blacksburg is a unique kind of place where um, it's Montgomery County has uh, really two huge public high schools. But there's not a whole lot of smaller public high schools like in Blacksburg or Christiansburg. And they didn't have like anything for graduation that was baccalaureate is kind of the word, but nothing where you could, um, at the school you would have like, the Christians would get together and, um, you can edit that. <laughs> where the, uh, the Christians would get together, seniors, send them off. So we had this idea that we were gonna, you know, make this huge event for all the seniors in Montgomery County to come and just like be encouraged by the word. Like you're a senior, we're gonna send you off. So real quick, just give, how many students would that be? Just if, we, like, if you had maximum students show up. If every single student in Montgomery County to all the schools that we sent it to, I would say probably 800 to 1,000. Okay. Um, there were some, we sent it to some schools that were kind of out of our district, but still like it was at, so we rented the War Memorial Chapel at Virginia Tech, okay? We had like the the guy who led the biggest campus ministry at Virginia Tech speaking. We had um, you know we had music. We had a team that was going to lead music. So all local guys, all local guys. Names people would have known. Names people know, and um, we sent out. We actually sent fly like we sent flyers to the schools, um, and it comes to that that day. And I think it was a Sunday. I don't know. It was a it was a Saturday afternoon. And um, I, <laughs> I missed a wedding for this, which is way funnier. Um, and, it, you know, it comes to an hour out, everybody's there, we set up, and it's like, okay, let's pray about people coming. And then I get a text from uh, one of the girls in my youth ministry. She was like, hey, is anybody coming to this thing? Like, what, what are the, what's it looking like? And I was like, you know, I, you know, we sent it to everyone, so it could be, it could be great. And, um, she was like, okay, I'm just thinking about it. And I was like, all right, cool. You know, not really thinking anything of it. Five minutes, uh, until it's time to start. I'm looking around. Nobody's there. Time to start. Nobody is there. Five minutes over. Nobody shows up. So literally we planned this entire event and nobody came. So wait, 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 we need, we need to make sure we understand this. You plan an event for students, high school students in your district 
in Blacksburg, in Christiansburg, Virginia, which is a reach of about a thousand students. You have you have recognizable names. You have a really awesome venue on Virginia Tech's campus, and you just said no one showed up. Right <laughs> now, we're, like let's do let's do our best and not do the pastor thing. Right, pastors have this unique ability of saying, "Oh, how many people were there? Oh man, we had three hundred. When it was like one eighty, but so <laughs> oh, yeah. so when you say no one, you literally mean not a single student. I mean zero students. Not two. Up. Not two. Not six. Not six. Not ten. Zero. Not a single. We student canceled the event. <laughs> <laughs> how long into the event, time wise, when you when you said to yourself. I don't think anyone's going to come. Ten minutes before, when nobody has showed up, I mean, 50% of moms are 30 minutes early. <laughs> That's such a great pastor metric. So, I'm going to write that down. 50% of moms are 30 minutes early. I like yes, that. Every single time. So when it was 10 minutes and nobody was there yet, I was like, man, if the early people aren't here, the late people for sure are not showing up. So I was just like, ah, let's see. Nah, didn't happen. So you, you went for it. Went for it. And it didn't happen. Didn't happen. Tell us like the, 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 sh- like the short version. This is what I learned from, from, from like as a young, young pastor, the students fired up and no one showed up. Well, the short thing is actually the lead pastor of my church took me aside and gave me a hug and said. And fired you. Yeah. <laughs> he said, get the out of here he gave me a he gave me a hug and he said i'm just proud that you gave it a a shot Hmm. and it showed it really showed me like it's okay to fail um i don't know if i want to contextualize my previous experience but uh i think that for a long time i was in an environment where it wasn't okay to fail Hmm. failure was wrong yeah and that that leads to fear, and actually, him showing me that it is okay to f- fail has freed me in a lot of things. And the, for us as pastors, like in that context, the definition, the eyeball definition of success would have been eight hundred students. Yeah. But for us as pastors, you would have equally as failed. You would have equally failed if you had eight hundred students show up and didn't deliver a gospel message yeah for sure that's the same level of failure as nobody you know like nobody showing up like not i mean you didn't fail because nobody showed up nobody showed up and that's one of those unique things like we could have a room full of people and we could bebop and scat all over the place and we could you know tell funny stories and do funny things on the stage and have nothing to do about jesus and to me that's a failure yeah that's not what it is that i do um, and that's not what it is that you do. But then you could also do this thing. You said we, we gathered as a team to pray for those people <laughs> before they showed up. That's that's a win. That's not a fail. Like yeah. you were you 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 were preparing your hearts and your minds and and the people and the team and the worship team and the, and the, the guest speaker. You were preparing for to to be Christ to these people. So you you didn't fail. You you were prepared, but people just didn't show up. And I, I don't I've never heard that before. I've never heard <laughs> that before. I've never heard someone plan an event and no one show up. I've heard only five people show up. I've heard that the weather caused people not to show up. I've heard that the power went out. So people but you know, so we're sitting there with our cell phone lights on. I've heard all kinds of versions of at least so and so showed up. I've never heard of straight crickets you the guest speaker and the band standing there 
<laughs> in a room full of empty chairs waiting for people to show up. I've never heard that before. I remember right after it happened, I sat down on my couch and I was just laughing and I called Cedric. And I said, true. Yeah, I, said yeah, Cedric, funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, I have a great story for yeah, you. I, and I told him that, no, I told him the whole story and told him nobody showed up and I just heard Cedric just roaring with laughter in the background. Because <laughs> I was too. It was just like, wow, what a... <laughs> Yeah, that that is one of the greatest ministry stories I have ever heard. <laughs> I mean, and I think you know, for some people listening to, they'll be like, "Wow, whatever, that was funny, whatever." But for those that know you, I don't think that that could have happened to a better person for a number of reasons. Yeah. The lessons you learn, how you handle it, uh, it's just it's just crazy. I honestly don't know how I would have handled that if that happened to me. I really don't. I don't know sitting here. I don't know if I if I you know maybe a, a little bit because I'm a little bit mature, you know, like, but you are a young, single, I think that I was 24 pastor. years old. Yeah, I mean, like, and, and again, like, I know we have to be careful how we say this, but there's legit some places where you would have been fired. Yeah. There's some, there's some churches where you would have literally been called in and they would have said, hey, you're just not cutting it, man. You, we we got to let you go. Like, for real, that's, you know, and that, that speaks to, uh, to your lead pastor's heart. That speaks to, I mean, for him to do that, for him to, you said he gave you a hug and said, hey, I'm proud of you. That's, that, I think those are the unique things about pastoring that people just, they miss. And, and we understand why they miss those, those things. But yeah, I, I, I knew I wanted us to kind of like end our time with that because that's just such a unique thing. And I know you said you wanted to end, but I was thinking about maybe talking about like what. Go for it. Like discouragement that pastors go through. Yeah. Um, because of that. I mean, this ties right in and the importance. One, if you're a lead pastor and you're listening to this, I would say encourage your ministry people as much as you can. And I would say the most discouraging thing as a pastor is that people um, share with you their critiques of your systems and your message and your discipleship way more than they encourage you with what you're doing. You know, I, I think that that is the most discouraging thing to me is that rarely does someone come up to you and just say, hey, man, I really appreciate what we just did. Rarely does someone text you to say that. Most of the time, the texts that we get as pastors are damage control. Mm. And um, that was just a great example of where I could have been just reamed. Oh, yeah. But... I was encouraged, and I would say, uh, even if if you're just someone in a church, encourage your pastors. We rarely get it. Mm. We rarely get it. Um, it's it's the lifeblood of our ministry um, that we're affirmed by Jesus first, and then we need people who are like behind us. If you if you're not behind us, you know, it's yeah. not a good place to be. Yeah, so. well said. Well, I think that we we obviously had some focused conversation today. Um, uh, you and I talked even before we started, and just about some of the things we wanted to cover. And and I really think that this is just the start of a continuous conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're we're going to continue uh, some of these conversations 
in the future. Uh, I'm, I'm, I want to say to you, I mean, this is not the first time I've said it, not the last time I'm going to say it. I'm really proud. I'm really proud of you. I don't, there's in my, you know, I'm, I'm a still a young pastor myself. You know, I'm 34 years old, but there's a number of people who have, who I've had the privilege of leading them to and through young pastor life. And you're one of those people. Mm -hmm. So, so for you, for me to hear you say some of those things, that's encouraging to me. Um, so I'm really proud of where you are. I'm really excited for your wedding. Um, and Let's just go. kind of like, you know, to be, to be a part of that. Um, but if you're listening, I really hope you were encouraged by, by that. I hope you heard our hearts. I hope you heard, uh, the things that are unique to what it is that we do. Uh, if you, if you go to Southside, uh, just continue to encourage Greg and Alex and the whole team uh, as they do the work that God has called them to. And even if, you, even if you don't, if you live in our town and you know Alex, which if you live in our town, you probably know Alex. <laughs> um, you want to you encourage him and, and his team and his future wife uh, uh, just in reference to what it is that God has called them to do. So please do just continue to listen to our podcast. Subscribe, download the episodes. Uh, we are available wherever you get podcasts. Tell someone about it. Someone's like, hey, is there anything you've been listening to or reading to or reading lately or anything in, that you've heard? Yes, tell them about How Did I Get Here. So this is the How Did I Get Here podcast. Thanks for joining us. And until next time. Uh